Let me say at the very outset how very happy and appreciative Sue and I are to be invited to be back with you for a few days to consider the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's just a, a blessing and a, an extreme joy to be back with you here at Lakeside. We have so many friends here uh, as well as family members. Appreciate Janet and Randy so much. Uh, you know, knowing that we have this relationship in Christ and then we have a family relationship as well means so very much to us. Good to be with Danny and Kathy. We've known them for so many years and love and appreciate them so very much, as, as, as for many of you here. And getting to know some of you for the first time will be uh, a blessing as well. I want to remind you that after tonight's lesson, I'm half done. And so if we're going to get busy, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to kind of get at it. And so just let you know that while we're staying with Randy and Janet, Sue and I are available to encourage you, be with you, have a Bible study, or just, just you know, spend some time with you. If we can be of any help to you this week, well, believe me, we, we want to do just that. I want you to, to, to know that our only purpose is to, to glorify the Lord uh, this week. I want to take this morning's sermon from the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians, you, you may know where I'm going to go uh, in, in, in this, this particular study. But sometime during the winter of, let's say, 53 or 54 A.D., the Apostle Paul writes the book that is often referred to as the book of 2 Corinthians. And he does so from, from Macedonia. Now, what he's doing in this book, he's addressing a lot of particular subject matters. He's dealing a little bit with false teachers. Uh, he's also dealing a little bit with a brother that had been disciplined out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, and how that he had been restored to the Lord. And so he, he deals with a lot of different subjects throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. And, and to me, at least, possibly not to somebody who has a greater degree of, of, of Bible knowledge than I, it's sort of a hard book to just actually outline like you would 1 Corinthians, and, uh, and, but it doesn't mean that there are verses in that or subject matters in that that are not important because they certainly all are important. But as he was getting to the closing remarks of 2 Corinthians, he, he writes this in chapter 12, and so I'm going to be, begin reading in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, or really verse 2, and read down through verse 6. Here's what Paul says as he's really winding down this inspired letter to the Corinthian church, the second letter to the Corinthian church. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast, yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears me to be. So what Paul was doing is, is as he was, like I say, getting ready to conclude the book, Paul was pointing out that here was a man, and I believe he's speaking of himself here, who had been caught up to 
the third heaven or to paradise and he was seeing things that he was not allowed to talk about he was seeing things that he was not allowed to 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 express and when you think about what that would have meant to him personally it would have certainly caused him to be very boastful or could have caused him to be very boastful look what i have seen i can't tell you what i saw but i saw it and so rather than however him being boastful rather than him being exalted by this Paul said something that is pretty astounding here. He said, rather than boasting about this, he said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. He said, it was given to me. He said, this is a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So Paul said, rather than boasting about this, I was given this infirmity. Uh, and, and, and that's really what he's talking about here. When he talks about a thorn in the flesh, he's talking about, he's using a figure of speech here. He was talking about something that was causing an annoyance with him. I was given this infirmity. I was given this annoyance. And he said, this annoyance was given to me to keep me from boasting. But he said, it was a messenger of Satan. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, now keep in mind, he's using a, an expression here. He's not talking about a literal thorn or a literal sticker somehow being thrust into his side. He's using a figure of speech. We use that figure of speech today, and it's borrowed from this very context. We talk about things being a thorn in the flesh. Or maybe we would uh, modernize it a little bit. We'd talk about something being a pain in the neck. And when we talk about something being a pain in the neck, we're not really talking about a literal physical pain in our neck. We're talking about something that causes an annoyance. It is something that is annoying. It is something that is distracting. It is something that is a plague, so to speak. As a matter of fact, God warned the Israelites years before this, if they did not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those inhabitants would become thorns in your side. They would become a problem. They would become an annoyance to you. And so this is how Paul is using that expression. But it raises several interesting questions. When we talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh, we sometimes wonder, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? And I think as a matter of fact, we spend too much time thinking about, studying about, debating about, talking about what possibly could be this thorn in the flesh. And there are a lot of people who have very strong opinions about what this thorn in the flesh was. And I think as a result of pushing these strong opinions, we lose sight of a beautiful message that we need to learn from this text. Well, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, some people will say, well, Paul's thorn in the flesh was something physical. He had a physical infirmity. And some have even suggested that it was malaria, it was migraine headaches, epilepsy, speech impediment. Uh, and most often it was poor eyesight. People say that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. Others say, well, it was an emotional thing. Paul's thorn in the flesh was his deep concern for all the churches, and he had a deep concern for the churches. There's no question about that. But was that his thorn in the flesh? Well, I don't know. Was it something that was adversarial? Was it all the persecutions that he had? All of the stonings and the shipwreck and uh, you know, the day and the night and the deep and all of these things that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 11. 
were any of those his thorn in the flesh or persecutions in general? Were, were they his thorn in the flesh? And again, I don't know. Well, some said it was discouragement that Paul was often despondent even to the point of death over the things that were happening. And while all of these are very interesting to talk about and, and we could possibly make a case for this or that or, or the other, we are not told what his thorn in the flesh was. But we're told something that's important about that. It was sent to buffet him. That is, it was sent to torment him. It was to be a continual source of torment. That we know. That is, is, is the purpose of this. Now, Paul also noted something that we alluded to a little bit ago. He said, this thorn in the flesh was given to me to buffet me. But he said, let me tell you who's behind this. He said, it was a messenger of Satan. It was a messenger of Satan. And he said it was sent to buffet me. It was sent to torment me. Now, if you look in the, back in chapter 11 of the book, in verse 14, Satan appeared to the Corinthians as an angel of light. But to the apostle Paul, Satan was an angel of agony. You see, the, the devil, and we're going to discuss this even more this week in our, in our studies. But the devil is the source of all of our suffering. And as a matter of fact, suffering, when it occurs, is a corridor into the heart of every believer that the devil will use to send a message. And any message, here you've got to understand, any message that we receive from the devil is a lie. Did you know that? Anything the devil tries to get us to believe is a lie. He is the father of all liars. And the message of the devil is intended to deceive us, and it's intended to ensnare us. And this is what Paul said he was receiving. He was receiving a message from the devil. Now let me stop right here and say something as I kind of continue to set up our study. Like the Apostle Paul, we need not think, ladies and gentlemen, we need not think that our lives are going to be free of difficulties. This is something we've got to understand. We've got to understand that being a Christian is not going to inoculate us from the viruses of trouble. It's not going to inoculate us from the agonies of life. These things are going to occur. Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Now he made that abundantly clear. And if I deny that, I am denying not only reality, but I am denying the words of our Lord. Peter said in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 that you need not be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you. So they're going to happen. How many of us, how many of us actually, in actuality, when, when, when this so-called pandemic started, how many of us said, I don't understand this. I, I, I. Don't be surprised when these things happen. This is part of our life upon this earth. There are going to be sicknesses. There's going to be viruses. There's going to be bacteria. There's going to be diseases that take our lives. This is a reality. There are going to be hearts that needed to be melted. There are going to be families that needed to be restored. There are going to be problems that need to be solved. This is part of our existence. 
But what we need to remember is when these hardships and these pains and this unhappiness and this suffering begins to fill our lives, remember this is a messenger of Satan. We've got to understand that. And we're going to do exactly what Paul did. When these things begin to afflict us, what did Paul do? Well, Paul said, well, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, you know, what's interesting about this three times that he prayed, and again, I'm not suggesting that Paul is giving to us a pattern that you can only pray about these things three times. I'm not suggesting that. But Paul said, I prayed about this thing three times. Now, was it three prayers in rapid succession? Perhaps. Was it three prayers over a period of 14 years? That's how long it had been. Well, I don't know. Perhaps it was. But nevertheless, Paul said, I prayed to the Lord that this thorn, whatever it was, would be removed from me. And what was God's response to the Apostle Paul? Well, God's response to him basically was, no. I'm not going to remove that thorn. As a matter of fact, rather than removing that thorn, I want to remind you of something. My grace is sufficient for you. You know what's very interesting about that? Is that when Paul received that message, when he finally got it, 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 it almost seems like a sense of, uh, of, of finality finally began to set in with the Apostle Paul. He said, you know, I, 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 I get it. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it depart from me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now notice what he said in verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. He said, therefore, okay, here's, here, here, here's the conclusion I get. I prayed and God said, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn. And Paul said, okay, I get it. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. My grace is sufficient for you, is what God... You know, that's, that's always been a passage that interested me. My grace... You know, grace, J.R., is un, it's unmerited favor. And God is saying no. And then he turns around and says, my unmerited favor is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I don't get it. How was Paul saved? Paul was saved by grace, just as all Christians are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't earn our salvation. Our salvation is by the grace of God. That doesn't mean we do not obey. Because verse 10 goes on to say we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That doesn't mean we do not submit to the teaching of God. But it is grace that saved Paul. Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 that I am what I am by the grace of God. Just think about it. The grace of God took Paul from being a, a, a sinner to a saint. The grace of God took Paul from being a persecutor to a preacher. 
It took him from being an, uh, an assassin to being an apostle. The grace of God was that which was cleaning up the apostle Paul. It made him into the man that he become. And now what God is saying is my grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. It will get you through these things. No matter what it is that you're suffering, my grace will see you to the other side. It will carry you through. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that remains true today. My grace is sufficient for you. No matter what it is that we're facing, no matter what struggles that we have in life, we've got to understand that God's grace is sufficient for us. We, here's the thing about that. We sometimes forget that. We, we sometimes just, just act as though that, that's not true. I, I, it's got to be removed. It, it, God's, you've got to take care of this. No, God says, you know, sometimes it won't be. But I'll tell you what, my grace is sufficient for you. It will carry you through. We can't bear it alone. We need to cast our care upon him, for he cares for us. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. And when we do... When we cast our care upon him, then I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God's grace will carry us through. And I'll tell you what. We've been there, or perhaps we will be. Something's going to happen in our lives. There's going to be a tragedy that comes in, and I mean a major tragedy. There's going to be something that will knock us to our knees. It will beat us down, and when we're down on our knees, we're going to begin to think, I did not expect this. This is something I, 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 I don't understand. What am I going to do? Well, we'll pray about it. There's no question about that. But maybe the thorn will not be removed. <coughs> maybe the answer we get from God is the same answer that the Apostle Paul got from God. My grace is sufficient for you. So what do we do then? What do we do when the thorn is not removed? And there's always that possibility, ladies and gentlemen. No matter the power of God, no matter what we studied about in our last study, the, the, the truth of the matter is, even if we fill our lives with the Spirit of God, we fill our lives with Christ Jesus, and He feels at home in our heart, sometimes the thorn is not going to be removed. Well, what do we do then when the thorn is not removed? Well, I, I, th th this is what I want us to think about. Th th this is the area that I want us to consider right now. Because the chances are going to be, if you haven't already received that thorn, that is not being removed, you will one day. Or what then? Well, let me tell you in the first place, what you need to do is right now on the spot, you need to reject any lying message that Satan is trying to put in your heart when this happens to you. Because I'll tell you something, when, when suffering begins, whatever it may be, and, and I'll tell you, suffering can take many tentacles here. There's any question about that. It, it may be a sickness. It, it, it may be a family estrangement. It may be the death of a loved one. It may be betrayal by someone that you have a great deal of confidence in. It could take on many faces. Suffering can. Problems can. But I'm going to tell you something. When suffering begins, 
the devil is going to show up and he's going to begin to fill our hearts with lies. He's going to fill our hearts with deceit and those lies and deceits are intended to destroy us. And you know what happens? Sometimes we allow that to happen. Sometimes when we have certain tragedies that occur in our lives and the devil shows up and he begins to fill our heart with these lies, we believe them. You know, it may be something like, you, you do understand, don't you, that God has abandoned you. Look what's happened to you. You've been going to church for the last 30 years and this happens to you. God has turned his back on you. God has turned his face away from you. And you know what? If we believe that, we're going to fail on God. But all in the world that is, is the devil putting a lie in our heart. Suffering is going to happen, but we don't have to believe the lies of the devil. The devil shows up, and, well, you know, God is unfair to you. Well, well, look, at that doesn't happen to other people, but it's sure happening to you. You're the one that lost your job. You're the one that lost your house. You're the one that lost your wife, your husband, or whatever the, 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 the tragic situation may be. That's a lie from the devil. God is not unfair. We can't believe those lies that the devil are, are, are sending our way when we're suffering the thorn is not removed. Well, don't you understand? God doesn't love you anymore. God is punishing you. Or it may be, well, I, I, I can't believe God. God just doesn't exist anymore. Well, that's what the devil wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe, well, if, if there is a God, he's not, he's not a loving God. These are lies the devil is whispering in our heart. It's so, okay, the thorn isn't removed. I understand that. The Apostle Paul understood that, okay, the thorn is not removed. I cannot believe the lies of the devil. What I've got to do is believe my grace is sufficient for you. That's what we believe. We reject the lying message of the devil. And when the thorn is not removed, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to revive and we need to renew and we need to rekindle our prayer dependence upon God. But Paul prayed and didn't do him any good. Well, yes, it did. It just didn't do what he thought it needed, that needed to happen when he offered those prayers. Well, I prayed. I, I, I prayed. I, I really, I poured my heart out to God and and, 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 and the thorn is still there. The thorn has still not been removed. And, and I, 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 I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'll tell you what you do. Don't quit praying. You need prayer now more than you ever did. Okay, the thorn has not been removed. I get it. But that doesn't mean you stop talking to God. It doesn't mean you stop praying. You pray even when you don't feel like it. You pray even when you think it's not doing any good. Because the one thing that the devil wants you to do is break off communication with God. And break it off right now. That's all the devil is interested in. He's not interested in your thorn being removed any more than he was interested in Paul's thorn being removed. This is not a time to stop worshiping. And it's certainly not a time to stop talking to God. It's not a time to break off communication with God. It's a time to enliven our prayer life. It's a time to revive our prayer life, to renew our prayer life. It's a time to do what Paul said. 
in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and that is pray without ceasing. Well, what do I pray? I prayed that God would remove the thorn, but He did not remove the thorn. So what do I ask God now? Are you familiar with the event that occurred with King Hezekiah back in 2 Kings 19? Well, it's really starting in, in, in chapter 18. You remember when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he sent a threatening letter to King Hezekiah, good King Hezekiah. And basically the letter said, look what Assyria has been able to do. We have destroyed all of these people. And you know what? We've got our sights set on you, Jerusalem. We've got you in our crosshairs. And we're going to come in and we're going to savage you. We're going to rape your women. We're going to kill your children. We're going to slaughter your men. We're going to make dust out of you. We're going to do to you what we've done to all these other kings and all these other kingdoms. And no, don't trust in God. He's not going to help you. So what did Hezekiah do? What is, what is it he did? Well, I'll tell you what he did. One of the things he did, he went to the temple of God and he laid down that threatening letter that he got from the king and he said to the Lord, basically, Lord, we can't handle this. We're just going to have to turn this over to you. And so he didn't break off communication with God. He deepened his communication with God. And this is how we've got to be. Have we taken, okay, Lord, I, I get it. What Paul did say, I get it, Lord. You're not going to remove this thorn. I understand that. But I'm not going to abandon you, God. I'm going to trust you. Your grace is sufficient for me. I will glory, I, I will glory in these infirmities. I, I will do this because when I am weak, then am I strong. How was Paul strong? He then became one who depended upon the strength of God. I can't get through this thing by myself, but I'll tell you what. I can with God. I'll turn it over to God and I will renew and I will reinvigorate my prayer life and my prayer dependence. I'll not break off communication with God. Here's something we need to understand. When we reach the point that we're going to accept, as Paul did, that God's grace is sufficient for us, that doesn't mean, you know, I, I tell people, you know, you pray. But God may not remove the thorn in the flesh. God may not calm the storm that we're going through. But I'll tell you what God will do. He will calm the anxiety in your heart. He will calm you as a child of God to be able to endure what it is that you're going to endure with His help. Okay, the thorn is not removed. I get it. But I'm not going to bail on God. I'm going to renew and reinvigorate my communication. And furthermore, even though the thorn is not removed, I'm going to resist the urge to become bitter. You know, that bitterness that we sometimes feel when we're going through these things is really too pronged. We become embittered at God for allowing this to happen. You know, it's kind of, like, kind of like Job's wife back in Job chapter 2 when his wife told him, just go ahead and curse God and die. And he pointed out in verse 10, how can we do that? Shall we accept good from the Lord and then not accept adversity? We've got to, 
you know, we, we can't be angry with God when these adversities come upon us. The fact of the matter is, Job concluded in chapter 14 and verse 1, that man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. There are going to be trouble. There's going to be things in this life that we wish were not happening. There are going to be thorns that we have in our side that are not removed. That is the reality of it. But I'll tell you what, that doesn't mean that we can become embittered against God. Not at all God is not to be the source of our anger at all when we're going through these things. A good friend of mine that you, you may know, Brother L.A. Stouffer, preaches out in St. Louis, Missouri. A number of years ago, L.A. and I were together, we were taking a long trip together. He got to telling me about the death of his first wife. I didn't know Shirley. I know his second wife, Charlotte. But he was telling me about the death of Shirley that died as a young woman with breast cancer. And he said when she was first diagnosed, J.R., he said we prayed about it. She received treatments, and it looked as things were going well. He said, but then in a few, just a few years, he said this came back with a vengeance. And she suffered. He said she suffered greatly. And he said, I can remember the last time that we had her admitted to the hospital. And he said, in the night that she died, he said, I was in her room, and he said, I prayed, I got down on my knees, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed that God would spare this But she passed. He said, I went down to the chapel in that hospital. And he said, I'm going to tell you something, J.R. He said, I was angry. I was more angry than I had ever been in my life. He said, rage filled my heart. He said, but I wasn't angry with God. He said, I was angry with the devil. The devil has brought this. He said, I just wish I could rekindle the hatred that I had for Satan at that time when my wife died. If we're going to be angry, let's be angry at the one who introduced these things into this world. Let's be angry with the devil. Not be angry with God. Resist the urge to become bitter and resist, uh, against God and resist the urge to become bitter against those who are not going through what you're going through. You know, sometimes we allow that to happen. We see others who are not suffering as we are. And not only do we become enraged with God, but we become enraged with others. Why are they getting a pass on this? Why, why don't they go through what I'm going through? We've got to resist that. Remember these words of the psalmist. He said in Psalm 73 and verse 12, beginning, he said, Behold, there are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. You ever felt that way? The guy across the street from you never goes to church. He's out mowing his yard when you come in to worship and it just seems like he's just blessed with all of these material things and you suffer from day to day. And you wonder, why am I doing this? And maybe, maybe, maybe I, this is all vanity. I, I don't know. For all day long, he said in verse 14, I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. 
when I thought how to understand this, it was, it was too painful for me. But then he had an epiphany. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Okay, I get it. I know where they're going to end up, and I don't want to end up there. So you fight, you resist, you overcome any bitterness. Because bitterness will erode the soul, just like hate. Okay, the thorn is not removed, I get it. You just resist the urge to become bitter. And I'll tell you something else you do. You reestablish spiritual relationships. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to want, out, want to reach out to you and to help you and to encourage you. But sometimes what we do is we resist every effort to do that. We tend to want to isolate ourselves. We, we tend to want to stay away from those who are trying to help us. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan desires that you isolate yourself. Satan desires that you be vulnerable. Satan desires that you be alone. Because that's what loneliness will do. It will make us vulnerable. So reach out to those, or reach back to those who are reaching out. Take that phone call. Allow that visit to come in. Allow somebody to sit down and hold your hand and to pray with you. Because all they're trying to do is to help you get through these things. Maybe they're an instrument of God, actually. You know, suffering can either make us, well, you, you heard the old saying, it can make us bitter or it can make us better. I like to look at it, it can make us sullen or it can make us be a servant. And when it makes us to be sullen, we want to isolate ourselves, we want to dig a hole, we want to crawl in it, we just want to pull the world in or, or, or the dirt in around us to cut us off from the world. But there's somebody that cares. Somebody wants to reach out and help you. So when they want to reach out and help you, you, you reach back. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and notice, and God of all comfort. Not part comfort. Not some comfort. Not a little comfort. He said he's the God of all comfort. And he said, he who comforts us in all our tribulation. Okay, what, what then, Paul? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. So what we do is we reach out to comfort those who are going through trials and tribulations because you know what? We've gone through those. And we know what it's like. And we can help those who need it. You know, a, a friend of mine told me a number of years ago. His, his father died suddenly just before Christmas. And he said when dad was at the funeral home, he said that people come in. He said they were some of the kindest people that ever was. They would come in and they would offer nice words and notes. He said the flowers and the cards, he said they were all so very special. But he said there was one guy. He said, I saw him. I was standing by the casket. He said, I saw him as he come into the room. And he said, I knew he had lost his dad two weeks before. 
He said he walked up to where I was standing. He said he did not say one word to me. He just threw his arms around me and we cried. And we cried. And we cried. I knew he knew what I was going through. He comforted me. God used him to comfort me. This is the way that we respond. Okay, we're hurting. The thorn has not been removed. And a brother shows up on our doorstep, answered the door, welcomed him in. He's there to comfort you. Reach back when he reaches for you. And then when you get through this and you see somebody else suffering, you become that servant and you reach out to them. I know you don't feel like it. And the devil will exploit that. So don't let the devil win. Connect with other Christians. All the while remembering what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. And then finally, whatever happens, whatever the thorn is, you rely unconditionally upon God. I, I, I'm going to tell you that this is sometimes real hard to do because we understand that life as we have known it and life as we have loved it has been blown to pieces. And we know in our heart of hearts it will never be the same again. But this is not the time to bail on God. It's the time to trust Him. Trust that He will put the pieces back together of this exploded life. It may not be in this life, it may not be on this side of the grave, but it will be put together perhaps in eternity. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, the Bible tells us. We've got to understand that just like the Apostle Paul said in writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When I think about the thorns that I have borne and that have not been removed, and there are thorns in my life that are not removed, I can't help but remember how the book of Habakkuk Concluded. In Habakkuk 3, verse 17, the prophet says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stocks, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. This is not the time to cut ties with God. It is a time to strengthen those ties. It is a time to rely unequivocally upon God. Because we have a promise of a building not made with hands. We have a promise of a city that we have not yet experienced. But we have to hold on. And we have to remember, my grace is sufficient for you. Because of our suffering, I, I think sometimes we, 
allow ourselves to become vulnerable to the lies of Satan. And we want to try to handle this all by ourselves, but we can't. We can't do it. Stories told of a man standing by the kitchen window watching his little boy play in the backyard. The little boy had his Tonka truck out there. He was cutting a road with a little Tonka truck. And one of the places he wanted to take that Tonka truck on that road that he was making had a cinder block that was about halfway submerged in the ground and it was in the way. And Dad was standing at the window watching that little boy. And that little boy tried to pull that rock out. He couldn't budge it, or a block out, and he couldn't budge it. Little fellow sat down, pushed his little legs up, or his little feet up against that. He tried to get it loose that way, and it wouldn't budge. The boy got a little creative. He, he found an old axe handle over there, and he, he drug it over there, and he tried to use that axe handle as a lever to get it out wouldn't budge. Dad sat down his glass of water, walked out to see where the little boy was, and he said, uh, or see out where the little boy was, and he said to his son, he said, son, said, what are you trying to do? He said, well, I'm trying to move this block. He said, so it's blocking the road for my truck. And dad said, well, son, have you done everything there is to do to move that block? And he said, yes, I've tried everything. Dad said, no, you haven't tried everything. The little boy said, well, what haven't I tried? He said, you haven't asked me. That's where we are. When the thorn is not removed, we just do not ask our Father to give us the strength to get through. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to urge you to surrender your life, heart and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will that inoculate you from problems? No. Will that somehow immunize you from troubles in this life? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you what it will do. It will give you help from above that you would not have otherwise. It will give you that grace that not only will save you through your obedience to the gospel, but it will get you through the problems of life. You believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Please turn from a life of sin. Let us repent. Confess your faith in Him as the Messiah of God, Savior of the world. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Be raised to walk in newness of life. Won't you experience that salvation this morning as you say yes to the Lord? And say yes right now as together we stand.